I apologize. We What a tremendous service that we had last week. What a tremendous time we had together. And I know that I left encouraged and blessed because uh, I know that the Lord did things in that service. We have heard testimonies back of healings and deliverance that God did through uh, that working last Sunday morning. I'm always a proponent of the, the Word of God. There's nothing that can ever take the place of His Word. If a church is constantly having a worship service and they do not have the Word, be a little bit careful because there's nothing that can ever take the place of this Word. Nothing. And it's important that you and I not only read it, but that we hear the Word. The Bible talks about the foolishness of preaching. And to some it may seem like foolishness, but it can enter into our hearts. It can take root into our hearts, and it can encourage us. So, Pastor, if it's the foolishness of preaching, why do you do it? Because some people would never take the time to read the Scriptures and digest what I'm about to give to you unless somebody stood up and declared it. I'm declaring what the Word of the Lord says. Well, Pastor, what about the notes that are all in between? Well, I want to be honest with you today. I have sat and thought now for over two weeks how I could make this message start out on a softer note where it would be just much easier to get. Have you ever rode, some of you flown on an airplane? I have. And if you've ever flown on an airplane, you get this every now and again. The last flight that I had was back from, uh, it was back from uh, going from uh, Fort Lauderdale or somewhere in Miami to New Orleans. Now, if you've never flown out of New Orleans, that's a treat in itself anyhow. So um, we're flying on a small economy plane coming back. And when the pilot, who is a southern gentleman, stands at the front of that plane, he does not get over the microphone. He walks out of his chambers, stands at the edge of the doors where the stewardess would normally stand, and declares to you that he hopes to have a good ride, but we know the closer we get to New Orleans, there is a storm, and it may get a little bumpy. You know, you better get ready. If you deal with motion sickness, they have provided things for that in the front chair pocket before you. Because the captain of that plane knows his business. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. He's been there. He's looked at the forecast. He's seen the future in the forecast. He knows that it's going to take time. We got over that New Orleans airport, and he said, we're going to circle a few times. Shelby can probably identify with something. that We're going to circle a few times. It's as black as it's daytime, but it's as black as night on the plane. And he said, when we get, we're going to circle, and when we circle, I'm going to find the right time that we're going to make our entry to the airport. We circled. I don't know how many times we circled. At least for 20-plus minutes, we circled. And then all of a sudden, like a, like a breaking of something, that plane felt like it dropped 200 feet. At least, probably more scared me to know what it did. But when it broke and it fell, it was like all of a sudden it, it stopped. And we were right at the airport and we landed. 
can I tell you something today? He knew what he was talking about. He knew what he was doing. He was looking for a spot to land that plane as easily as he possibly could in that airport and to take care of all the souls that were on board. I'm glad that he was captaining that, or I'm glad that he was the pilot of that plane. Well, I've come by to tell you something today. I'm just here to share with you what I believe the Lord's put in my heart. I've come by today not to be the not to be the captain of the ship, not to be the pilot of the plane. I've come by sitting in the co-pilot seat. I've come by to tell you today that the captain knows what he's doing. Come on, somebody. That the pilot of this thing knows what he's doing. His name is Jesus Christ. And as long as he's at the helm and as long as he's steering the ship, as long as he's guiding the plane, as long as he's the wagon master, we're going to be all right. He knows exactly what he's doing. He has seen what's happening. He knows what's going to happen. And he's going to take care of every soul on board. Aren't you glad today? Hallelujah. Come on, somebody give him praise. Amen. Amen. So with that being said, I want you to turn with me to the book of Ezekiel chapter 18. We're going to be in reading there and read a couple of verses, three, four verses, and then we're going to share a little bit about the title of this message, which is called The Curse. And I'm share, I want to give that to you because here's what I believe with all of my heart. There have been some thoughts and teaching that I'm not going to try to debunk or I'm not going to try to argue with, but I am going to say to you this, that every man on the day that he stands before the Lord, whether at the final judgment of God or the day that he, his, his uh, spirit leaves this earth, hear me, will have to stand before God on his own two feet. He will have to stand before God on his own two feet. He will have to stand there on his own and the discussion that will be given or the discussion that will be had will not be about what your pastor did, how faithful he was, how good he was, how bad he was. The discussion will be between you and God. Aren't you glad that you don't have to stand for me? And I'm glad that I don't have to stand for you. The only person God will discuss when I meet him is me. I, I won't discuss my children, my wife that I love, or anything else. You say, well, pastor, help me out here a little bit. You'll never be able to say, well, my daddy was, my mama was. The Bible teaches that the soul that sins dies. That's simply the way that it is. You can't throw that off on any other person. You can't, uh, nobody else can take that for you. The only person that could take our sins was Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad for that? So let me read to you, and we'll get to the gist of this. I'm not going to just take you out here, put you in the storm, and leave you. I plan on sitting here, allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work that He needs to do, and I believe He's going to get us safely where we're going. Ezekiel 18, 1. This is Ezekiel, says, Then another message came to me from the Lord. He says this, Why, why do you quote this proverb concerning the land of Israel? Why do you keep saying this proverb over them? The parents have eaten sour grapes, but their children's mouth pucker at the taste. Doesn't sounds almost confusing that the parents are eating it, but it's the children's mouth whose mouths pucker like sour grapes. Pastor, what does this mean? I'm going to give you a little bit, and we'll carry on. This proverb was being used in Israel, and basically what it was doing, or how it was being used, was to throw off blame. 
It was being used to throw off blame on someone else. It became so popular that they began putting a twist on it and making it almost sound as if God was unfair. Our parents have sinned. Our parents have lived in sin. Our parents have failed you, God. But it's our mouths that are set on edge like eating a sour tart that makes us cringe because we feel like we will have to pay for what our parents did. As a matter of fact, he said, your mouths pucker at the taste of this. Look at what verse 3 says. This says, as surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, God speaking to them, you will not quote, you will not recite, you will not say this any longer in Israel. Look at this, for all people are mine. They don't belong to they don't belong to you, your parents don't. They belong to the Lord to judge. Both parents and children alike. And this is my rule. The person who sins is the one who will die. Now, here's the thing we're getting. In the, these verses, we're getting the reaction of God's, uh, God speaking back to them over an excuse that the children of those in Israel kept reciting of this proverb. They were complaining. They were using the excuse, and the truth of it was, if you read this and you study and you go back to the original proverb, which I'm not going to recite and go over because they did quote it over and over, and it is found in the Bible in a couple of places, the children were saying that it's our parents' fault for the way that we're living and, how, and what's going on in our life. It is our grandparents' fault for the way that our the, the way that we live and the problems that we have. Basically, what they were doing was giving an, an excuse for the sins that they were in. Is everybody hearing what I'm saying? In other words, the parents were not without fault, the grandparents were not without fault, but the children that were complaining, and, and Ezekiel was saying, you're no longer going to need to quote this verse any longer. It, you're still in sin, but you cannot blame it on your parents, and you can't blame it on your grandparents. Pastor, bring this down just as, as basic as you can. I'm going to bring it as basic as I can. If your daddy was a user, it doesn't mean that you're an abuser or user. Come on, somebody. You will not have the excuse. There are people that are living out a lie of something that their parents or their grandparents did. Now, I'm going to clarify as much as I can. If you were born in poverty, if you were born in a bad situation, there will be sometimes ill effects that are taking on, taken on that you have no control over. You had no control over what color you were born. Come on, somebody. What social status you were born in or even control of what your parents, grandparents, or anybody else did. I'm going to say something publicly. I know that we're live on television. Our own Facebook might as well be on television with as many people that are watching these things. My grandfather, my dad's dad, was married seven times, three times to my grandmother, and plus had outside extramarital affairs where children were born that were not even his own. It was a messed up situation. They put the fun in dysfunction. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching to you good here. I need you to hear what I'm saying. Because some of you would think in your mind, well, the pastor can be who he is because he had a good daddy, because he had a good mother. Can I tell you, when the Lord found my dad, when the Lord found me, there was a 
lot of dysfunction that was in. That's just one side. I haven't even went to the opposite side that I could tell you even more about. My mother could confirm some of those things. I'm just here to tell you, it doesn't matter what they did. Just because granddaddy was married and divorced and remarried and slept around all those times does not mean that I have to. Just because they got a divorce doesn't mean that I have to get a divorce. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Just because your mama abused you when you were little doesn't mean that you have to abuse your child. I'm telling you that the Word of God declares that that can be broken over your life. All you need to do is stand up of the truth of God's Word, declare what it says, and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And there's some things that's got to stop at the door of my home. There are some things I will not allow. There are some things that are not going to come into my home. Come on, somebody. My kids knew when they walked through the door back in the day when there were CD players. Come on, you know when we still had those discs that we stuck in and even when MP3 players came along that daddy was not beyond the fact of looking through them to see what they were and what was on them. Why, Pastor? Because I believe that those things coming into my house could affect my whole household. I believe that the games they were playing on all of these PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 that were out at the time and all all of the other games could affect my home. And what I believed in my heart was this. I not only needed to keep them walking along the path that God had put me on and a path that was pure and righteous and what I knew according to His Word, I needed to make sure that it didn't come through the door of my house. That there were certain movies that we didn't play. There were certain movies that we didn't buy. There were television programs that we would turn past because we weren't going to watch it. We knew that they were rude. We knew that they were crude. We knew they were demeaning to women. And I'm here to tell you that God did not create us to live under the curse or the lie of somebody else. God created us to stand on our own two feet. And when we look him and we see him, if we can see him face to face, he's going to ask me about Tony, but nobody else. He's going to ask you about you and not your daddy, not your mama, not your mama's mama or your daddy's daddy. He will ask you about you. Come on, somebody. You see, here's the thing, Pastor. I've been reading the Bible. I think I know a little more about this Bible thing because I read something over in Genesis that says there's a second and third and fourth generation. I'm going to help you with that in just a few minutes. You do not have to live under a previous curse of a generation. However, if you had an abusive father or mother or they were alcoholics or they were drug addicted, it can affect you in negative ways in your life, but you don't have to live under it for the rest of your life. Does that make sense to anybody? They, they, may, have, they may have stolen the shoes off of a baby. And I've heard these stories over and over again by my dad. They may have stolen the shoes off of their baby to pay for their alcohol habit before they were buried in a grave. But can I tell you something? It doesn't have to be passed along to you. Amen? So, Pastor, what is a curse? Well, I had to go to the definitions of everybody does to, uh, to Webster just to see what Webster had to say about it. And a curse is a solemn utterance. Somebody say a word spoken. Any way that you want to look at that word utterance, that's what it means. It is intended to evoke, look at this, supernatural power to inflict harm. Nothing good. To inflict punishment on someone or something. 
It's believing simply a harmful word that has been spoken over your life, whether physically, by a doctor. And I'm not against doctors, but I'm just saying that not everything that they say to you, I don't believe that every Christian needs to accept. Okay, I'm just going to help you here because I wasn't going to stop, but I'm going to stop right there. Well, your daddy dealt with uh, these things. Steve. The thing I noticed in my latest recent trips were this. They always ask me about, if, especially if it's a new doctor or a new place, they're going to ask you about your medical And they'll ask me, uh, uh, they'll say, uh, what about your family? What went on in your family? Well, my, my dad dealt with high cholesterol. My, my, my dad and my mom both dealt with, uh, dealt with diabetes. The, the one that really threw me off this time was when I sat down in a new place and a, a, a new visit and they looked at me and the first word that the nurse's assistant asked me out of her mouth was this. Get this, you ready? Come on, everybody look in here. Are you depressed? That was the first word. I, 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 I kind of shook my head and, and I looked at her and I said, uh, do I look depressed? No, sir, it, it, it's just something that we've been trained to ask. The first question, not did, not did your daddy die with cancer, not did he die from a, being diabetic, did, not did he die from all of these things, are you depressed? Can I tell you why, church, the drugs to treat depression is the number one drug sold on the market? And do you know who it's being sold to the most? Come on, somebody. Your children. Carrie's here. She'll help me with this. I'm not telling you a lie. Why are they so quick then to do all of this? One thing you're not told, and I know we're saying this live, but there's state funding for children who are able to be put on certain drugs to the school system so they don't mind writing it up that your child's got some kind of attention problem. And we listen to what I'm telling you. I'm not preaching against anybody. I'm here to declare to you that you don't have to believe everything that's spoken over your life physically. Come on, somebody. Spiritually by somebody who says this is what's wrong in your life. That's why you're the way that you are. Can I tell you even emotionally, don't let the devil lie to you and declare over you you're depressed. That's the problem with you. Your friends are depressed. You're depressed. Your parents were depressed. That's why you are. Can I tell you that the word of God declares that greater is he that is in me than he that is in this wicked world. And there are certain things that I will not accept in my life. I will not believe over my life. I like to declare that I am whole. I am the righteousness of Christ Jesus. I am a son of the living God. I am of him today. I am the most high God. He created me. He made me. He can heal me. He can touch my body. He can pick my emotional state up. He can help me spiritually. I need him today more than I need a drug that I can pop. Come on, somebody. A bottle that I can drink from another relationship from somebody else. I need the Lord in my life. I need the power of the Holy Spirit in my life overflowing that I've got the strength and the power to overcome the things of the world and everything that's thrown at us. My heavens, I'll never get done today, but I'm going to preach what's in my heart. Pastor, what's a generational curse? Well, many suppose themselves to be victims of generational curses. And it's true, there are certain unwanted characteristics, traits that can be handed down from family to family member. 
But Christians who claim, look at this, that they have received the demons of alcoholism, anger, pornography, lust, laziness from their parents. Come on, somebody. I, I didn't say non-believers. I said Christians who claim that they've received this from their parents. Maybe that curse has begun with them, and you've just continued to live it out because you believed it. Hang on with me. Listen, let me just say this. Either way, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you're dealing with, your mama may have been a troublemaker, but you don't have to be a troublemaker. My God, I'm going to preach here. Your, your, your mama might have been, uh, she might have been a backbiter and a gossiper. Come on, somebody. But you don't have to be. You don't have to be. I, I, I'm going to get in somebody's business before it's over with. I told you, I can't captain this thing. I can't pilot this thing. I'll be as careful as I can with the words that I say. But hear me, I've been studying and reading and praying about this for so long because I feel like that we, God is tired of the excuses for the way that we live our lives. And if we're ever going to see revival, we got to quit giving God the excuse. Well, I'm just living off of what somebody else did. I can't help it. I'm just stuck in this city. There's nothing ever happens here. There's nothing good that ever goes on. What about when you begin to speak over the city? What you want to see and what you want to declare? What you know what God wants to do? How about speaking over those that are in authority? Revival in their life. Praying it through in your own life and seeing if God will begin to do a work for you and in your life and in their life. Come on somebody. So many people either way however you look at this God has a plan of freedom for your life. He wants to shatter the chains. He wants the cycle to forever be broken. And it can stop in your life, and it can stop from passing to from one generation to a next generation. So why do so many Christians live under this thing, Pastor? Why, why are they doing that? Because James 3 and 10 tells us, Out of our mouths proceed, look at this, blessing and cursing. Both blessing come out of it and cursing come out of it. But he said, my brethren, these things ought not be. We should not be speaking both blessing and cursing out of our mouth. Why? Because words are powerful. The words that we say are powerful. If you raise a child and you tell them they're dumb, they're going to believe they're dumb. If you raise a child and tell them you're good for nothing, you can do nothing right, they're going to believe they can do nothing right. Are you with me? Some of you know this quote. We quoted it when we were kids. Sticks and stones may break my bones. But the truth of it is words do hurt. And children sometimes can be the most cruel people on the earth to each other. I was at Cole's dodgeball game and he's, I don't see him this morning, but I got invited and I got to go. Do you know what I thought about during that entire or most of that in, entire game? Now I've done prepared for this message. I've done thought about it. Man, it was fast moving. You should have seen Brother Bo. He ain't never moved that fast in a long time. And not because he was getting hit. He didn't want to get hit. He was trying to help. But I was watching those kids playing. And I watched those kids from every size, from the fit to the not so fit. When I was in school, they said the skinny kids to the fat kids. Y'all going to understand this term because while I was sitting there through that, listen to me, I'm going I'm to tell you how the enemy works, how he plants stuff, how the Bible says you better take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. You better put it under the blood of Jesus. 
they were putting those teams together. And I asked the question, I think maybe to Sharon, hey, how did they choose them? How, how did they come up with who's going to play? Because you got four teams that are playing, and they're playing on two separate sides. And she said, well, that you know, this is the process. And I could not help but to think in my mind, yeah, in dodgeball, I was always chosen like the fat boy. You say, Pastor, you're 50 years old. That don't still bother you, does it? Sticks and stones may not break my bones, but I'm going to tell you words will still hurt you. And I got to thinking in my mind, yeah, the enemy will use those things to drive home the insecurities that are already in our life, even as grown adults. Things that a parent said, or a grandparent, or an aunt, or an uncle said to us to keep us from believing that we are, we are who we are in Christ. Let me tell you something. You have an identity, and it's not in this world if you're a believer. I'm not preaching to the lost today. I'm preaching to us today. I brought this word so that Christians, believers, who claim to know the power of God can understand you can live free and you don't have to live under that. But words are powerful. You better learn to take them captive. It's bad when you stand up in the middle of, want to stand up in the middle of a, 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 a even a homeschool dodgeball game and stand to your feet and yell to the top of your lungs, No, devil, not today. Come on, somebody. Because that's exactly what rose up inside of my spirit. I, I, you know, I do, they thought, they all think I'm crazy anyway because I'm a, you know, you come from a spirit-filled church, they kind of think that anyway most of the time. But I really felt it inside of me. No, devil, not today. You're not going to start with that. You're not going to go there. I know who I am. I am a son of the Most High God. I'm a king's kid. I am his favorite. Come on, somebody. He chose me before I was ever a thought in my mother's womb. He knew me. Come on somebody. While I was the worst of the worst. While I was still sitting. While I didn't love God. While I was against God. While my hatred was against God. He still loved me. He died on Calvary. Even while I was doing all the things that I was doing as a young man. Let me tell you. He loved me first. And today because he loved me first. I love him. Come on somebody. I'm in love. And every day gets sweeter and sweeter. Every day gets better and better. The more that I fall in love with him, the greater it becomes because I know who I am. Touch your neighbor, look at him and say, I know who I am in Jesus. Come on. <laughs> There's so many things that words themselves, the utterances really cannot curse you. Look at this unless you believe that lie spoken over you. You understand? They're utter words of utterance, but they can't, unless you believe them. They have no power over you. You understand that. You get that. Words themselves can't curse you unless you choose to believe the lie spoken over you. And if you're filled with the Spirit of God in your life and Jesus' blood covers you, you don't have to receive what someone has said, spoken, or written over you. Now let me share something with you. A couple of things that we run into. I'm going to get it water here. I'm going to call this the curse of what is known as willful sin. <clears throat> Which simply says this. I'm going to, I'm going to give you the definition in, from the scriptures and then I'm going to give you the homespun definition. James 1.14, which has a lot to say about using your mouth, what you say. Everybody look at me real quick. Listen, listen to what I'm going to tell you. God's gifting on my life is to use my mouth. 
almost 19 years ago. Brother David, we popped a tape in yesterday. You missed it. We found a couple boxes of tapes stashed away in a closet. We popped one of those tapes in. I didn't know what was on it. All I knew was it was March, the first year that I was here, and we came January or February. It was a Sunday morning. That was the next thing. I wondered if it was a Sunday night. And I took a cassette player, a little stereo thing that I had from the office, and I brought it over and put it in. All the guys that were there, I said, won't you just listen? This was the service close to 19 years ago. This is how it started. Someone sang a special. At the end of that song, I don't know how you explain it, like a horse out of a gate running 90 to nothing, like a man with a coattail on fire and 50 miles of water. I started. Zach Brandon standing there with his eyes that big. He said, Pastor, you need to do that again. <laughs> the thing is, 19 years later, there's some things that slow down in you. You don't believe that? Look at some of the things you did before, and you will slow down. The message of his word does not slow down, but hear what I'm about to tell you. Because the Lord has anointed our lips our tongue, because that's what we use. If you're in PR work, you know what I'm talking about. You're administrative. You have to speak. You have to talk. God's gifted you. The enemy would love to use your tongue in the wrong way. Now, everybody listen to me. You're the only one that can control it. And if you choose not to, hear me. The enemy will use the very thing you fail to control to destroy you. Talking in negative connotations towards others that you have no business. Just because somebody did it to you does not give you the right to do it to somebody else. Just because that you're hurt on the inside... And you're dwelling on that hurt because you've got that hurt. Listen to me. You know what's happened? I want everybody to hear me. If I don't get to the rest of these notes, I'm going to preach what is on my heart. The Bible says, it talks about this root of bitterness that springs up. Listen to this. There's some of you that probably know what this is. We were, I was talking to my neighbor. There's this plant. Sister Judy may know what it is. I, I don't know. It, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a vine or it's a... It's a it starts out as like a root. It's got about three leaves on it. It's not poisonous that I can check, but it's this root that, or it's this thing, and it grows, and it'll grow specifically around shaded areas, and it'll pop up in your shrubs or in places like that around your chimney and all. But what I've noticed about this, look at this, is that it'll grow underground, and it'll get to a place that it wants to come up next to a fence, next to a chimney, next to under some under some things. Now, when it, if it grows up in, by a chimney, it'll just grow up in one thing, up by a fence, it'll grow up in one thing. But I've got a azalea bush at the north end of my house, on the northeast, northeast side of my house. And let me tell you something. It will absolutely overtake it. And what it's done, it's figured out that when it gets under there, somehow or another, it, it'll, it'll run like this and it'll pop up. It'll run, it'll pop up. It'll run and pop up. If I haven't cut grass in a while, it'll run out in that grass and pop up a small shoot here and there. The Bible talks about letting no root of bitterness spring up in your life. 
Why root of bitterness? We could get real deep, but to give you that simple illustration to tell you this, if you don't deal with that root, it'll spring up in your life in places you never anticipated, places you don't want. You can look like a beautiful azalea in church. You can have all the blooms of a springtime, but have roots of bitterness growing all under you that will take you over. Hear what I'm about to tell you. You can pull them off until it doesn't even look like it's in the shrubbery, but I'm telling you the roots are still there until you take it to the root until you kill it to the root it'll keep coming up hear what I'm telling you it's truth listen to me the devil wants to use roots of bitterness in your life they've sat there so long unattended nobody's fooled with them nobody's dealt with them you've never dealt with them and every time you're hurt one springs up in your life and it begins to grow and before you know it it's overtaken and that's why he said don't let a root of bitterness spring up it will over Overshadow, it will overtake, it will destroy, it will choke out your Christian walk. Because as much as you're trying to put on a front at church, at moments when you get hurt, it'll shine, baby shine. It'll come out, and everybody's gonna know you've got stuff going on you've never dealt with in your life. I'm preaching better than some of y'all are helping me, but you know I'm telling you the truth. You say, Well, Pastor, I thought that was all about drugs and alcohol. Those are the people you're talking about. That ain't who I'm talking about today. That ain't where we're at today. I'm talking about the things that we try to bypass, look over, don't want to talk about, but we think that nobody knows. Can I tell you that the hidden things will be revealed by God? Do not let a root of bitterness spring up. Your word. Pastor, I remember I got saved. I remember giving my heart to Jesus. I got that. How, how in the world can I have and be dealing with something from the past that came a long time ago? We all know, if you read the Bible, believe the Bible, First Adam 10, right? If you read the Bible, you understand it. These young people understand it. That that sin that Adam and Eve did in the garden in the beginning was translated to every human that would ever be born on the earth. All of us are born into sin. The Bible teaches that. Romans is a real good book to start with and read. If you don't understand Romans, you're not going to understand a lot of this. But Romans basically tells us <coughs> that we are all born into sin. Romans 2, 8, 9 tells us that we're, but it's by grace that we're saved. It's not of works. You can't work it out. You can't fix it on your own. You can't save yourself. So we're all born into sin because of what Adam did in the beginning, we're infused with that. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the way that it is. But the second Adam, the first one messed up. The first one failed in the beginning. Boy, that must have really messed God up. No, it didn't. He knew what he would do all along. He had a son. He was with God in the beginning. Read Genesis. You'll find that when the earth was created, it talks about us. He was with God in the beginning. Are you hear, hearing what I'm telling you? That when he died on Calvary, he would break the, the, the curse of sin. And the second Adam, uh, Jesus, atonement was for all souls or all men. It wasn't for a select group. It wasn't for a certain amount. And the Bible tells us in Romans 5 and 21, though no act on our own are we condemned. This is not in those verses, Michael. But it says, likewise, through no act of our own, we are saved. In other words, we didn't do, we didn't do Adam's sin to begin with. That was of no act of our own. We didn't even, we didn't die on a cross. That was no act of our own. 
But through both of those acts, we were made sinners and we've been saved. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? <coughs> I'm going to share this with you. We did on Wednesday. If you've missed the teaching on the Holy Spirit on Wednesday night, if you've been missing the street, we're getting close to the close of it. You're going to hear me preach a little bit in here at the end. I believe with all of my heart as teaching, because I've heard a lot of teaching through the years, and I can, if you would love to email me, I could email you back more than you can handle. When you walked to an altar or you went out to a tree and you gave your heart to Jesus or you were sitting in a deer stand or you were in a boat, wherever you were, or you were in a bar and you gave your heart to Jesus, you were saved. You became a believer. The Bible says if we accept him and believe in our heart that we will be saved. That's according to his word. You, you are saved. But I'm going to tell you that there's not one of us, including this man standing here in Orange, go vault. Amen. That is without sin, even after that work at an altar, a tree stump, in a tree stand. We've all said things, done things, had regrets, spoken harshly to our kids, wife, let words slip that we didn't think was there anymore, that was there. What do I do, Pastor? I'll tell you, everybody listening. What do I do, Pastor? Hey, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I didn't realize that was still there. You know what? It's still there. It's coming out of you. It's still there. So you have, you were saved at an altar. Secondly, you are being saved. Well, Pastor, what do you mean? That's sanctification. That's the part of you being sanctified, walking this thing out. You're not perfect now. You will not ever be perfect on this earth. You're going to walk through this earth, and you're going to make mistakes, and you're going to regret those mistakes. But I'm thankful that Romans 8 and 1 says that there is now no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no shame. We go through guilt. We go through a lot of stuff. But though our past is in our past. I was saved in an altar. I'm being saved because sanctification is a work that's happening in my life, and I will be saved. When I see him face to face, I will are you hearing me? Be saved. Everything that I've looked at, saw through a glass darkly, did not understand, didn't get it, didn't gather it. When I get into the presence of Jesus, baby, I am as saved as I'll ever be saved. Can I tell you that? Does it make sense to you? I just need you to understand that we as Christians and believers are bad about casting blame on somebody else, but we're also bad about believing when we stumble and make mistakes that we just keep stumbling, we keep making mistakes, we don't pick ourselves up. You've got to get up. You've got to get up. Everybody in this place is in a different steps with the Lord. Some of you have been in church for years and you've grown up in church. You know what it's all about. You've given your heart to Christ. You've walked in it. You've heard others who have helped you. Some of you have just given your hearts to Christ and you're still trying to figure those things out. But every one of us are at different steps and stages in our relationship with Christ. The important thing is, is that you don't stay at the baby steps. You keep walking till adulthood. Come on, somebody. That you keep getting there. And even when you get to adulthood, which doesn't mean because you got gray hair in your head that you got to adulthood. Praise God for that. They're in mine too. Look at my chinny, chin, chin, and you'll know they're in mine too. Amen. Just because you've gotten there doesn't mean that you've all grown up and can't learn anything else. Come on, somebody. But what it does mean is that I put away childish things foolish things, and I begin to walk in the wisdom, the good wisdom of what the Lord says, which says, when I fall down, when I make mistakes, i got to get up. I can't stay down. I can't run, roll around in that. If I roll around in it, then I am actually, listen to this, 
under the curse of what is called willful sin. I did it. I knew that it was. I'm willing just to roll in it. Quickly, willful sin is like a revolving door in your life. The longer you stay, the more difficult it is to find an exit. If you've ever been, you know, you get in it. If you're not careful, you you gotta you gotta exit out of it. But if you don't exit, guess what? You keep going around. Does it make sense? James 1.15 says, These desires in us give birth to sinful actions, and we sin. And when we sin, it is allowed to grow, and it gives birth to death. One mistake doesn't mean that your house is open to Satan, but there is something that you need to understand. Willful sin, continue allowed to go unchecked or to come and go, hear this, becomes what is known as, and I don't have a lot of time to teach this this morning, a gateway. A gateway. Everybody say a gateway. A door. Which means that you open the door or you open the gate to something in your life. Listen to this. And that is allowed to come and it's allowed to go. If you don't close the gate on it, it becomes bitterness. If you don't close the gate on it, it can become a habitual habit that you've allowed into your life that you just have not completely, not that you haven't completely given it over to Christ. That's why, hear me, you need the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Pastor, you preach? Yes. That's why you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because He is your helper. He is the comforter. He is the teacher. He is the one that can help you because the gateways that you allow to stay open, listen to me, the enemy's allowed to come and he's allowed to go. The scriptures tell us that he brings more with him. Pastor, you're saying there's more demons in me. That's not what I said. I'm telling you that's why it becomes more difficult the second time around than it was the first. That's why it becomes difficult the third time around and more difficult the fourth time around because the gates open, he comes, he goes, more come with him. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? It becomes a habit. And I'm going to tell you, those habits can be broken. They have to be replaced with good habits. And you've got to turn it around. You're, you're the only one. I can counsel you till I'm blue in the face. But I'm telling you, until you make up your mind, look at this, between here and here, it'll never be broken. You've got to make up your mind because the enemy knows, this is the second thing that you need to understand, that your mind is his playground or can become his playground. That's why you believe things that you believe. So I'm going to jump down and look at this. Satan's playground, it's your mind. I got five minutes. There ain't no one. You ever notice this? You ever notice that you could go somewhere? My wife goes, there's a particular restaurant. My wife will go in that restaurant and she'll go, and she'll say bye. It smells like Meemaw's house. Y'all know what Meemaw is? Everybody's got a Meemaw, Grandma, Gigi, Mimi, somebody in their life, right? Or you had. Nothing like it. She'd go, smells like Meemaw's house. And what that has done, it's a trigger. Psychologists, we're not going to get into all of that today, but it's true. Tell us there are trigger points in our life, certain things that we smell that make us think about certain things. Come on, somebody. It's the way that it is. And that's why it's important that you're careful where you go, what you do, what you watch. Help me, Ken. Yeah. Who you smell. Only you, Carrie. Wayne, you better find out what cologne he was wearing. 
season. It's like grandma's cooking. It's like something that you've smelled before, and your memory has not forgotten. Can I tell you, it's good. Those good things that you don't forget, he also uses the bad things you have not forgotten. He will remind you. He, he will, he will have, you ever seen people that reacted to a situation because they have in their mind, they're thinking about the past, something that happened to them, and your intentions were good. You would have never hurt them. In a million years, you would have never hurt them. But for some reason or another, they responded to you in a, just an odd way or they lashed out at you. Can I tell you, if Satan constantly reminds you of a past hurt, he can keep you in actually in mental prison. I'm just sharing with you today that the, en- the enemy can use your mind as a mental playground. Uh, Matthew 4 and 3 says, Now when the tempter came before him, he said, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to be made to bread. You know what? Satan appealed to Jesus just like he'll appeal to you. And men, there are three areas that he'll, he will deal with your life and he will mess you up if you're not careful. It's the same three areas that he tried to use against Jesus or he did use against Jesus. And I won't get into all of this, but the first one of that, everybody hear me, is called pleasure. Pleasure says this, you know what, it's been a rough week, I've had a hard time, I deserve this drink. I deserve to go to this place. I deserve to hang out with somebody I'm not supposed to be hanging out with because I know, I deserve this. That's what pleasure says, are you hearing me? He said to Jesus, hey, go ahead and get one of these stones. You know you, you can turn it into bread. You know you know that you want something to eat really bad. Go ahead and do it. You know what? Pleasure says you deserve it. The second thing that he appealed to to Jesus was this. He appealed to pride. You know, imagine to some people or image to some people are everything. How, how do I appear to people around me? Do I care about what I look like? Well, most of us do. That's why we fix our hair, brush our teeth, put on the clothes that we put on. But can I tell you, they may not care about character integrity. Come on, somebody, because those things in their life are the most important beyond the physical, the way that you look. The Bible says in verses 5 and 6 of Matthew, Then the devil took him up into a holy city, and he set him on a pinnacle of a temple. He said to them, If you're the Son of God, then throw yourself down, for it is written, He has given his angels charge over you, and they will, with their hands, will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Third thing, men, that he appealed to, and women, I'm going to tell you, all of these apply to us too, because he will tell you, you deserve a new dress, you deserve a new pair of shoes, go ahead and get it, you can pay for it later, it ain't going to hurt you none, just do it. Everybody with me? It all deal, it's all, it's all there, but I know with the men, I'm a man, so I understand it a little bit on some of these things. My wife could tell you maybe a little bit on the other side of it, but power was the next thing that he appealed to before Jesus. You let a man get a position, and I'm going to tell you, if he don't know how to handle that, he can abuse that position. Come on, somebody. Satan used these areas of temptation. They He used them. And look, if, if he can use that temptation and cause you to act it out, it's bringing the curse or enacting that curse upon you, and it becomes real because you believe you believe the lie and, and you don't change your language and you don't change your choices and you act upon it. That's when it becomes real in your life. Guys, hang with me. How do I break it to you? Let me share this one other. I've done giving some Romans 8 and 9, but listen to this. Be careful what you say and you speak because Satan knows your heart better. He knows what triggers you. He knows what sets you off. 
Pastor, how does he know it? Listen, he told him. He cannot hear me. I want everybody to hear me. This Satan cannot read your mind. He, he is not sovereign. Are you hearing me? He does not, he can't read your mind. But he can tell you what you've said already over yourself. Don't you do that, I'll get mad. Don't you say that, I, I, you know I'll get upset. Satan said, hmm, let me help you with that. He'll push that button. Well, pastor, I, I've been working on my anger. I've been working on that. Can I tell you something? If you get past that one thing in your life that you think is always hindered you and get you walking in a true, pure relationship with God, Satan will find something else to trim or cut out the equations, the lusts, the desires that, are, that, are, that entice you. They are, they're basically specific with you. Some of you in here, if you're like me, I am 50 years old. I have never drank alcohol. Never, never drank it. That's not telling you anything in pride or to lift myself. I'm just telling you it's just something I've never done. Can I say this to you? I can walk past the alcohol section in the Kroger or the Walmart store. It don't bother me. It does not affect me. I don't think about I need to get a six-pack of tall boys and go home and make, draw, drown all my sorrows out. Come on. I don't even know if they make a six-pack of tall boys, but you know what I'm talking about. I have never smoked marijuana. I've never taken illegal drugs. Come on, somebody. There's certain things that I, I was 10 when I gave my heart to Jesus. Thank God that a lot of that I had was able to bypass it because I never let it into my life. But there are some of you that have. There's some of me that has dealt with other things in my life. Well, Pastor, share with us. It's none of your business today. If we're close, close, you're in my inner circle. You already know that. Everybody needs somebody. That's why you've got to pray to the Lord for your forgiveness. But hear me, your healing comes. Confess your sins one to another. Not that you're forgiven. What does it say? That you're healed. That's why you need somebody close to you. Well, pastor, I can't get somebody close to me. Well, quit talking about everybody. Quit, quit having a nasty attitude. If you bust every friendship, listen to me. I need everybody to hear what I'm telling you. If you can't keep friends, it isn't everybody else. I may not even be able to get to preach today. How do I break the curse, Pastor? How do I do this? You, first of all, have got to start believing the truth. You know what the truth is? What God's Word's already said about you. It's already been spoken. You just got to begin to declare those things that He said. You got to believe that John 8 and 32 says, and the truth shall make you free, and you will live free. Come on, somebody. You got to understand that. You got to take a moment and declare that the lies that have been spoken over you are not the truth. The Word of God is the truth. Amen. The second thing you've got to do is you've got to acknowledge that the Spirit of God, what you have, what you have been gifted, what you have been given, is greater than yesterday's sin in your life. That you have been given the power through the Spirit of God to overcome those things. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? 
so many scriptures. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm telling you that God's work in your life is greater than any working against your life. That God's got plans for you. They've always been good. They have never been bad. He has never wanted to destroy you. He's never wanted to take you out. He doesn't have something against your home or your family. He doesn't have something against your race or your social status. He loves you. John 3, 16. For God so loved this old wretched world that he gave his only begotten son. Come on, somebody. Do you believe what his word says? I'm telling you the truth today. So the third thing you've got to do in order to break this curse, next is to renew your mind. You've got to start speaking what the word says over you. You've got to start reading Romans 12 and 1. Come on, somebody. And two, you've got to believe that the word of God over your life is greater than anything that's been spoken against your life. You've got to believe that God wants to renew your spirit. He wants to renew your mind. Listen to me. The only way that can happen is this fourth thing, and that's build a hedge around your life with prayer and truth. I'm going to close. Guys, find me something here. You get ready. Listen to me. We think showing up to church every Sunday, having the preacher pray over us. We need some anointing in the room. I'm saying that to you because I'll forget it. My wife's not here today. Put enough, put enough oil on us to crank that old school bus. That ought to be good enough. We ought to go out and live in freedom and walk in freedom. Can I tell you something? Until you start doing and renewing your mind, believing the truth, start reading the word, and not just reading it, but speaking it over your life, you'll always live inferior. You'll always feel like you're under the shadow of somebody else. You can never live up to your dad. You can never live up to your mom. I'm preaching to somebody. You can never live up to their expectations. Can I tell you something? Everybody hearing me today, God never intended you to live up to their expecting somebody else to do that for you. Build a hedge. There's so many
We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done. We thank you, Lord, for using, Lord, this vessel today, Father. Lord, I, I just was the donkey that you were saved me of. Lord, I've, I've done my very best. I've studied, Lord, hours and hours, Lord, believe and praying to God that you would touch hearts today. I pray, Father, for the hearts of those, Father, who's dealing with circumstances beyond, Lord, what they feel is their control. They don't even know what to do. They've got roots of bitterness, Father. They've got things in their life, Lord, they can't control their tongue seems like, Lord, every time they try to say what's right, they end up saying what's negative, tearing somebody down, tearing somebody apart. Lord, every time they try not to go to that computer and look at something they shouldn't on that phone, but God, they're still going. They're still, they're bound by that. It's got them wrapped by it. Father, I declare today easy. I declare, Lord, victory. I declare that in the name of Jesus, they'll be loosed. I declare that today, Lord, they will be loosed. Lord, that they will have the gifts, the fruits of your spirit in their life. Father, that they will not continually be bound by the lies of what a parent is to them. I pray this in Jesus' name. If you'd be honest with me today, if you're just standing there and heads are bowed, eyes are closed, you say, Pastor, you preached this message and spoke something in my heart. I know that I have dealt with some things you touched on today. And I just want a prayer. Would you just one, two, three, lift your hand up. Come on. Thank you for the hands. Thank you for the hands. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for being honest. Thank you that you didn't lie this morning. Thank you that the spirit of lying went away when I, I said things that you're honest. Put your hands down. Everybody look around. A lot of hands. You know what? Listen, listen a lot of hands went up. You know what the Holy Spirit checked and said? A lot of hands did.
emotionally, spiritually, physically. Think about Sierra. I know she's standing right there. I'm going to pray for all of you that are here, but Sierra's standing right there. During our time, we had overflow the services we had. We had testimonials. We had a good group of people that came. We had some people that spoke about previous and past uh, things that had happened. And Sierra came up during some of that time and said, I got something I'd like to say. And she spoke. And, man, my heart was just overjoyed. She's, what, seven, you're 17? 17 years old. And, you know, had, but you know what? What, what was it? You know what? She's, she believes in her heart. She told the honest truth about what she had been going through, what had happened in her family. She didn't go into the, all the gory details of everything, but just touched on the highlights and how that had affected her life and how that the enemy tried to use that against her and tried to keep her depressed, tried to keep her down because of that. I'm not telling anything that she didn't say in that service. Then she also told how she began to believe and began to read the book of Ephesians. And she said, I began to realize who I was. I began to see that the scriptures were telling the truth about me. That I believe that I am a child of the Most High God. That I am free. That I'm not living under all of that. And the ones that I've lost in my life, that's hurt, that hurt me so bad that the Lord is filling that void in my life. He's helping me. I'll always have their good memory. Can I tell you something? That takes a lot. You know what? She's going to live in freedom. Because she wanted promises are yes. I'm taking time. I'm taking time this morning because I believe in this exact, listen to me, God's got a plan for your life. That plan is so big that your eyes haven't seen it, your ear hasn't heard it, it hasn't even entered into your heart. And the very reason the enemy tries to keep causing these distractions in your life is to keep you distracted. 